All right, so we're back to our psalm study. We're in Psalm number 70. Um, this is a short psalm, and I'm, I'm not promising that this is going to have any significance for the length of this study, but I do believe this is the shortest set of notes that I've had so far on a psalm. So uh, only five verses, so a pretty short one. Um, but we'll go ahead and get to this. So our summary, Psalm 70 is a desperate plea for soon deliverance. I'll go over that one more time. Psalm 70 is a desperate plea for soon deliverance. Outline here puts it in a couple of parts, um, verses 1 to 3. Prayer for vindication. Verses 4 to 5, petition for deliverance. And I'll go over that one more time. Verses 1 to 3, prayer for vindication. Verses 4 to 5, Petition for Deliverance. Okay, so let's go to our observations. Psalm 70 was written by David. The superscription ascribes it to him, to the chief musician, a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. Now, it is directed to the chief musician, as you see there, or to the choir master. There's no other musical direction in uh, the heading or in the text of the psalm. There's no occasion that is given for the psalm. The term that is used that's rendered to bring to remembrance um, is only used one of the place in the psalms, and that's in the heading of Psalm 38. Um, it is used, this term is used in other places in the Old Testament, uh, particularly in connection with various offerings in the book of Leviticus, Levitical offerings um, to speak of remembrance. And there it typically refers to the remembrance of sin. And it's, it's a word that indicates sort of like a reflection. Um, in Psalm 38, there is actually a confession of sin in that psalm. There is not here in Psalm 70. Um, so the, the remembrance then would be, there's a couple of possibilities. It could be pointing to um, the crisis that is mentioned in the psalm and the hope for deliverance, and so it's a, a remembrance then um, of that. Or it could even be a part of the the um, the prayer to God. So it's seeking um, God to remember His people and such. So that's not entirely clear. Uh, and again, it. It could be, uh, I suppose, another possibility would be that it could be a, a particular um, tune um, that the psalm was to be sung to, so that it's a a psalm of remembrance, and that had and that could have been uh, a musical direction there. So that's not entirely clear, but at least we know that it does indicate uh, reflection, um, which could very well be the case of the psalm that the psalm is a reflection on this particular crisis and the promise of deliverance. Um, to categorize Psalm 70, it is a lament psalm. It's uh, short, as you see, five verses, and it is in a very compact form, 
for a lament psalm, but it does follow those conventions. So you have a direct address um, prayer to God for help in verse number one. You have a crisis complaint in verses two and three. You have a prayer of praise. Um, you don't have um, the commitment to praise that you that you typically see, but you have a prayer of praise in verse number four. And then you have an expression of confidence and a petition um, for help that ends the psalm in verse number five. Psalm 70 also contains some wisdom elements. So you have a contrast in this psalm of the, w- the wicked and the righteous and of their outcomes or their fates, you might say. Um, you have this highlighted, particularly when you pay attention to those pronouns, um, where uh, David is using me and my and, and contrasting it with them. Um, you also have wisdom elements in you in the prayer for judgment is a reversal on the enemy. So essentially wanting them to be turned back, wanting them to reap the uh, reap the reward of their wickedness. Let, let them be fully paid what is due them uh, and so on. Um, also in this psalm, as far as category is concerned, we do have some imprecations. So verses um, two and three, those imprecations, those prayers for judgment, um, they're not quite um, as violent as far as the imagery as some of the others that we have seen, um, but they are indeed they are indeed prayers for judgment um, on his enemies. So Psalm 70 uh, is a part of a small subgroup of Psalms in this David group. And they actually that began with the last one. So Psalms 69 to 71. Now those Psalms end this David group in book number two. Um, the David group runs from Psalm 51 through Psalm 71. Um, and so here we have another small subgroup of Psalms that are all very closely connected together. And so there are um, verbal connections of the language that is used. There are thematic connections, uh, some of the imagery and, and some of those things that connect these psalms together. So um, these sub, the subgroup of psalms, Psalm 69 to 71, are all closely connected with the themes of suffering, the need for deliverance, um, the presence and afflictions of the enemies. Um, we see the enemies are seeking to destroy us. There's there's imagery like that of a hunter um, hunting a prey or could even be also a military type imagery where you might have, you know, like um, uh, those that are they're hunting um, their enemy, um, whatever the case may be. Uh, so you have enemies seeking to destroy. You have an urgency in the appeal for deliverance that goes throughout these psalms. You have the mention of shame. Um, honor and and shame in these psalms. You have mention of the poor um, and needy, the the theme of rejoicing and loving salvation and this idea of everlasting or evermore or continually. Um, These are some of the things that that connect these psalms very closely together. Now, beyond that, Psalm 70 has very obvious connections to Psalm number 40 because the five verses of Psalm 70 are almost identical to five verses in Psalm number 40. Psalm 40 has more verses, but it's verses 13 to 17 in Psalm number 40. And again, they're nearly identical. There's, there's just a few differences between the verses there 
and the verses here. Um, commentators and, and scholars researching these um, essentially see a borrowing here, and, I'm, I'm, and I, don't, I don't doubt that. I don't have a problem that it's used. There's a lot of debate in their minds as to what is the original, um, you know, is, is Psalm 40 the, the first psalm that is the earlier psalm that is written? And then those verses have sort of been pulled out and adapted. Um, or was Psalm 70 the earlier psalm that was written and they have been used and adapted in Psalm number 40, which is a much longer psalm? And there's really not any way to be certain. Um, I, I would, for my, for my own study of it, I've leaned more toward that Psalm 70 was actually uh, written earlier and that it was included in as a Psalm 40 um, with some um, adapting to it. That's what I lean to, but I don't know if there's any way to know that for certain. Um, the poetic features of Psalm 70 are primarily in the structure of the psalm, so it has a ring or a circular type um, structure. So you've got verses one and five that mirror um, one another, the, particularly the plea for the quick help that is mirrored there. Um, also, the psalm uses repetition, and it has a lot of statements that are given in in couplets. So. It's, the, it's sort of that poetic repetition. So it's not the repetition of exact terms, but it's a repetition of similar terms. So, for instance, you know, the, the psalm begins asking to make haste, make haste to deliver, make haste to help. So, again, those help and deliver are not, they're different words, but they are very similar um, in what they're asking for. You have um, the prayer for the, for the enemies to be, ashamed and confounded. So you here you have, you know, again, that couplet, ashamed and confounded. Um, asked for them to be turned back and put to confusion. Um, they are seeking his soul and desiring his hurt. So the psalm uses that repetition throughout. Um, not the same words, but similar words, similar ideas that are expressed a little bit of different nuance, obviously, in those words, and that goes on again throughout the whole psalm. So that would be the primary. There is some there is some imagery. It's not a lot of imagery, but there is some. Okay, so let's walk through this psalm. Um, five verses. Go ahead and read those. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my hurt. Let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. And let such as love thy salvation say continually, Let God be magnified or let God be great. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarrying. Okay, so verse 1 opens this psalm with this direct address um, prayer to God. It is a petition for help. The prayer expresses urgency, make haste um, to deliver me. Um, and this prayer of urgency is repeated again at the end of the psalm as um, verse 5 in many ways mirrors the opening in verse number one. Um, he is seeking for help and for deliverance 
Um, those words are also repeated, or the, or the again similar terms are repeated um, for seeking help and deliverance at the end of the psalm as well. Um, though the words are different, they're very similar in their meanings. We look at verses two to three, and this is where we get the imprecations. These are the prayers for judgment. So they, on the one hand, they are expressing the crisis complaint of the lament. But on the other hand, they're also praying for judgment on the enemies, on the wicked um, who are causing the crisis. So the prayer for them to be ashamed and confounded, that is a prayer for judgment that we've actually encountered before in the Psalms. And when it is used, it is a prayer that is referring to final judgment. It's a finality of judgment. So we've seen that in Psalm 35, verses 4 and 26. Psalm 40 and verse 14, obviously, as that is the um, the other uh, use of this verse in Psalm 40. Uh, in the next Psalm, in Psalm 71 and verse 24, again, they're connected together. And it's only used one more time in the Psalm, the Psalm 83, 17. But when you look at all of these occurrences, it's the finality of judgment that is being prayed for. They're to be ashamed and to be confounded. So that's, in, in a way, that's like for um, for them, for their, all their hypocrisies and all their deceits and all their frauds and all their plots and schemes, for all those things to be exposed, um, for them to be um, put to an open shame, um, for them to be confounded. To be confounded is for their trust to be proved to be um, un, unfounded. In other words, um, they're their trust is shown to be um, unable to deliver them. What they have trusted in is unable to deliver them in the face of God's judgment. Now, they were seeking the life, he says, seeking my soul, which is the same thing. They're seeking my life. In other words, they're trying to kill him, um, and they were seeking his ruin. So, in other words, they were seeking David to be put to shame and to be confounded. They weren't wanting David to be um, exposed and and for David's um, trust to be shown to be unfounded. And David is praying for a wisdom reversal. So there's a judgment with this poetic reversal. Let them be the ones that are put to shame. Let them be the ones that are confounded and so on. This word for re- reward, let them be turned back for a reward. Let, let, let the payment that is due their wickedness come to them fully. So it's sort of like um, we could think about sayings like reaping what you have sown um, sort of thing. And even, and even that is, is an imagery that's used in Scripture. It's a wisdom reversal. So they're, they're sowing this wickedness and think that they're going to get away with it and that they're going to prosper. But David is praying rather for them to be paid fully. Um, let them reap the harvest that they have sown and let it come back on them. Um, they're paid what is due. And th- this is an echo, actually, of prayers um, in Psalm 35 and verse 4, uh, Psalm 40 and verse 14, obviously, Psalm 44 and verse 18, uh, and even more recently in the David Psalm, Psalm 53 and verse 3 here in book 2. Um, verse 4 then gives a prayer for praise. It's, it's, a, it's a prayer that is envisioning the praise of the redeemed at the deliverance of God's anointed. Um, so it echoes that concern uh, we saw in the previous psalm, Psalm 69, verse number 6, um, this um, prayer of praise, the rejoicing and the being made glad, um, such as love thy salvation and those that seek thee, which that, 
again, that would be those who have put their trust in God, those who are in covenant relationship with God because they have trusted in Him. Let them um, be brought to joy and let them issue this praise. Let God be magnified. Let, let God um, be great. Verse 5 concludes the psalm with a petition. Uh, first of all, we have a confession of David's condition. He, he confesses himself to be poor and needy. Um, poor and needy is a very common pairing, um, both in the um, literature of the law and the literature of wisdom in the Old Testament in particular, poor and needy. Um, now, typically the words refer to physical conditions of some kind. So it, or it could be referring to economic in the sense of actual poverty, um, and it could also be referring to sickness, um, someone suffering um, an affliction, you know, in other words, unable to be treated or unable to be cured. Um, but the words can also be used to refer to spiritual condition, um, spiritual poverty, spiritual affliction, spiritual oppression, um, that sort of thing as well. So this is echoing the confession from Psalm 69 and verse 29. Uh, and of course, obviously that in Psalm 40 and verse 17 as well. And he renews this urgency. Make haste, he says, and do not delay or make no tarrying as it's translated there at the end of the verse. And those are, those are different terms that are used. Make haste, be, you know, become quickly, um, don't delay. Um, that is, is echoed and, and repeated. So it gives this um, urgency, adding this third word um, for making no delay at the end of the psalm, seeking for God to be help and deliverer. Okay, so let's go to our interpretation. Psalm 70 teaches patience, as so many of these lament psalms do, and particularly psalms that have this sense of urgency that is in them. So sometimes the urgency is expressed through um, questions like, how long? How long, O Lord, you know, will the wicked prosper? Or how long must I wait? You know, the, how long? Um, in other words, the, a lot of these lament psalms, especially when they have this idea of urgency in them, they give us the idea that this suffering has has been um, protracted. It, it has been a long season of suffering, and it seems like that God should have intervened by now. So that's it, obviously then there is a lesson of patience. Um, that God does answer and God does keep his word. And we're assured of that in so many places in the Psalms as well as throughout the other places in the Bible. And then when we come into a place like this lament Psalm and we get a cry like, how long, O Lord, or come quickly, almost, almost as if the prayer is like, hurry up, hurry up, please hurry and deliver me. And so when we get that, we get the idea that the suffering has been long, but God will deliver. I mean, there's confidence in that. But it will be in his time. It will be in the time that he has appointed. Just, just like the prayers for God to rise up. It's almost like saying, God, stand up and do something. Um, and he will. And the confidence is there that he will. But it will be in his time. And that may not be timely from our perspective. Um, we may seem um, to, to struggle and to suffer and to wait long and to wait overly long. Psalm 70 also teaches the vindication of God's anointed. So when we look at, we zero in on these prayers for judgment and we look at the language and the imagery that's, that's being used, 
we realize that this these are prayers of vindication. So when David prays for a reversal judgment on his enemies, he's praying that they be put to an open shame, which is what they had plotted for him. So in other words, David is praying that he will be vindicated, that he will be shown to be righteous, and they will be shown to be wicked. So in other words, if um, so let's, let's imagine that um, you um, were maybe accused of a crime or you were taken to court as having wronged somebody, and if you were vindicated in court, then that, that would say that in, if you're vindicated in the dispute, then you will have been proven to be right, and the other person will have been proven to be wrong. So you will be fully vindicated in the case. Well, that's sort of like these prayers for judgment. They are trying to bring, they're trying to bring David to ruin and trying to take his life. So he's praying for God's judgment that they will be brought to ruin. Their lives will be taken. So David will be shown to have been righteous and his trust in God will be justified and his enemies will be shown to be wicked and they'll be repaid what they deserve. Now, the messianic hope of Psalm 70 is seen in a couple of ways. It's seen in through its connections with other messianic psalms. So when you look at Psalms 40 and Psalm 69, which the Psalm has very which this Psalm has very strong connections to, both of those Psalms are messianic psalms, um, very clearly messianic psalms. Both of them have um, quotations in the New Testament showing fulfillments in Jesus Christ. So then we are certainly justified then in reading Psalm 70 um, as a prayer of the Messiah, as a a prayer for um, the vindication of the Messiah and a prayer of his deliverance that leads to the joy and rejoicing of all of those that seek God and love his salvation. So if, if we think about if we think about some of those connections and what is brought out in Psalm 70, we see that messianic hope. So Psalm 70 gives us a righteous sufferer that is afflicted by enemies and he's suffering humiliation. All right, so he's suffering scorn and mockery. And that comes in in verse number three in particular when it refers to them that are saying, aha, aha. Um, that's, a, that's a reference to being scorned and mocked um, publicly and openly. And he cries out to God who can save his life, which is um, what we are told of Jesus Christ in places like Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 7. His deliverance means the rejoicing gladness of the covenant members who seek God and love his salvation. So in these connections with these Messianic Psalms, obviously then we, we read this um, in, in, a, in a sense of Messianic hope. But it's also seen in some of the particulars of the psalm as well. So deliverer and help that we look at at the end in verse number five, this, this is actually a personification. So deliverer and helper, we, we could see it that way. It, it's, it's a person. Um, and just like it is in Psalm 20 and verse number two, when help, the same word that is used, or a helper comes out of Zion and brings salvation. So also it's seen in this, in this prayer of urgency. So when you read these words and, and you look at the way that it's translated here, to make haste, make haste, um, make haste, make no tarrying, don't delay. Well, 
we see that this is an equivalent prayer of saying, come quickly. Come quickly. So he's looking for a helper, God's help personified, God's help in a person. He's looking for a helper to come and be a deliverer to deliver him from these problems. And he's praying, come quickly. Come quickly. Well, obviously, this is a prayer of Messianic hope. It is a prayer of Messianic hope that we know is echoed in the Messianic hope in um, post-exile times. And we have that in the Bible as well as in history of their prayer for the Messiah to come quickly. Um, But it's also echoed at the very end of the Bible. So in Revelation chapter 22, if you've had all this prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ, verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Now, again, this is that's Revelation that's in the Greek, um, so it's not the same words as what are used in the Hebrew. But what I'm saying is that it's equivalent. Come, I come quickly, he says. I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12 in Revelation 22. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. And then Revelation closes in verses 20 and 21. He which testifieth these things says, Surely I come quickly, even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So again, this, this is a messianic prayer, a prayer of messianic hope. Come quickly. Yeah, it's, a, it's a prayer that expresses faith in the coming one, but it's also a prayer that is a request to come now. Come quickly. Don't, don't delay. All right, applications of Psalm 70. I have um, two of these. Number one, understanding Psalm 70 helps us understand repetition in prayer. And I say repetition in prayer not in the sense of repetition of phrases, like there's words that we should just say over and over and over and over again. But when we have a lament, particularly this, this lament that expresses this urgency, and again, it gives us that idea of how long, that there's been a waiting, there's been a long time. We, we, we see these laments over and over again, and we realize that, that prayer is being repeated. So in other words, whatever, this, whatever the particular crisis may have been that David um, uh, caused David to pen the words of these, this psalm, I'm sure that this wasn't his only time of praying for deliverance from this crisis. Um, even Paul talked about praying three times for the thorn to be removed. So when we see a lament, we, can, we have the idea of prayer that's just being repeated. Lord, help me. Lord, deliver me. Lord, deliver me from this present crisis. Deliver me from this um, affliction. Deliver my family member. Del- deliver my um, um, friend or neighbor or coworker or whatever that it may be. Someone in a difficult time. Maybe you're praying for someone in an intercessory way. So there is a need for repeated prayer. Again, not the repetition of words and phrases like there's some sort of um, incantation to be used um, or that they have some sort of magical power in that sense, but there is a a need for repeated prayer that we pray again and again for a problem. We don't just pray one time and then just give up prayer. We pray again and again. We continue in prayer, in other words. And it also... um, Helps us understand that life, you know, life moves in those kind of ups and down, up and down cycles. And we we will repeatedly be brought to the place where we need to pray for help, where we need to pray for deliverance, 
where we need to pray for salvation, maybe like in the case of a, of a friend or family member or neighbor or again or coworker or someone, um, that we're praying for their salvation. And don't continue in prayer um, would be the encouragement from a psalm like this. Don't, don't give up that prayer. Continue in prayer. The second application, understanding Psalm 70 also helps us understand prayer as not the last resort, but as the great resort. So this psalm where David confesses, I'm poor and needy, essentially what he's saying is, is I have no, I have no means of help. I have no, I have no way of, of, you know, getting myself out of this problem. I have, I have no, um, I just have no means at my disposal. It's almost as if all he can do is pray. And again, that doesn't mean that prayer is only a last resort. You know, after you've tried everything else, go to prayer. That, that doesn't mean that, but that, but that we should understand that prayer is actually our great resort. Even, even if we are in a situation that we have to work through with means that are at our disposal, that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. No, we should pray. pray prayer is a greater resort than the money we need to use or the tools that we need to use or, or whatever the, the, the energy or the time or whatever it is the resources are. Prayer is the great resort. So, um, it, it, as we look at these laments like this, it's like prayer is the only, it's the only means at disposal um, of the psalmist. But that should help us to understand uh, and, and give us some comfort because a lot of times um, in the things that really do make a crisis in our life, a lot of times there's not, there isn't really isn't anything we can do. There really isn't any means or any resource that we have that can fix the problem or can deliver from the crisis, whatever that it is. And, and so it should, it should bring us to a place of comfort, understanding that prayer really is the great resort. It's not, it's not just like the sort of the last ditch effort um, after you've tried and exhausted everything else, but no, it really is the great resort and the great means of God's working and his deliverance.